0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler Area, located at 1500 South Allen L Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10:30 a.m. and 2:30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to talk for a short time this afternoon on self righteousness. You know, there's countless passages in the Bible that condemn. Self-righteousness. And when we read through those, we see that self-righteousness should not be part of a, a Christian's life. You know, church is not a place for perfect people. And I can think back maybe when, to when I was younger, and that, that was kind of a shocking statement. That might, You might suggest that. And I, and I think probably the thought there was we were setting the bar too low. That maybe expectations were not set high enough if we thought, well, the church is not a place for perfect people. Because ultimately our goal is perfection, even though that we won't reach it. The example that's been set has been a perfect example. And so when we look at that and we think that church is not a, per- a place for perfect people, well, you may be suggesting that we're failures. But that's not the case. That's not the case at all. The ultimate goal is to strive toward the example that was set for us. You know, our function in the church is not to police and punish others. That's not our function. That's not the role we've been given. And as we think about that, when we take a self-righteous attitude toward others, then that's ultimately what we're doing. We're placing ourselves in that position to police and punish. And that's, that's not what God had in mind at all. Uh, there is one that f- fulfills that role but it's not us. So we start out with a parable we're all familiar with. In Luke 18 and verse 9 it says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, and they were, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as this other man are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You know, first notice uh, who he's speaking with in this parable. And when it talks about who he's speaking to, it says that they despised others. They despised others. And that's pretty strong language when you think about it. These people had no interest in what was best for others. They simply despised them because they were different. You know, he describes the Pharisee in the parable just as you would picture the audience here. The most hurtful part of this parable is when he singles out the publican and says, I thank you that I am not like this man. Now you think about that. If we, we offer an invitation here every Sunday, every Sunday evening, whenever we're here, we do that. And if you think about someone that came forward and they said, you know, my life's not what it should be. I've got this problem or I've got this going on. And that's tough. And we said, yeah, sure, we'll pray for you. Lord, we pray for this sinner. And we thank you that we are not like this guy. How would that come across? Do you think anybody would have a response to that? Not at all. Not at all. Because knowing that we're not perfect people. And when we have people like that, that expose their vulnerabilities to us, and we take that opportunity to put them down, again, We're seeking to punish. The attitude here is not of love, it's not of mercy, it's not of helping, but to put someone down that recognized they had a problem. And so, as we look at this parable, it is a very sad parable because of what happened there. We had this certain individual that exposed those vulnerabilities, and someone chose to put them down. Now, the Pharisee, no doubt, had some good traits. We see him point them out. I do all of these great things. And certainly the things that he lists there are good. Certainly there are things that can be expected of us. But ultimately it didn't excuse the way he handled this situation. And he chose to kick the publican while he was down. He despised those he perceived to be weaker than himself. And that's just not what we've been called to do. You know, what about those good things he had done how could he be so bad? In Matthew 7, verses 22 through 23, it says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then will I professed unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that ever work iniquity. There again, a lot of good things spelled out, put out there. We would never disagree that those are good things. But do they excuse that type of behavior, that type of attitude, that we're self-righteous towards others? Not at all. It doesn't excuse that at all. You know, good works are important, but when all we take is a legalistic view of God's word, we can quickly miss the point that love for one another should come first when dealing with people. We have to have that included anytime we deal with others. You know, if we've been in the workplace for very long, we've all seen examples of people who can never be happy for others. They just can't do it. They just can't find it within themselves to be happier, happy for someone else. And it's much like this story of the prodigal son. In Luke 15, we see that parable, or that story. In 15 through 28, it says, Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called to the servants and asked, What are these things meant? And he said unto him, Thy brother has come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. You know, I think, I think he sets this up perfectly, in my opinion. He sort of plays on that human emotion. When we think of a story like this, what if this story was about someone in our community, somebody that we respected, and we said, you know, did you hear about him? His son came and just asked for everything he had coming to him, and he went out and he just squandered that on harlots and sinful living. You know, we probably wouldn't like that story very much, would we? That might upset us and frustrate us to hear something like that from someone we respected in the community had that happen to them. We wouldn't like that very much. And that's what happened in this this specific instance. I imagine someone going and asking for that inheritance and then doing what he did would stir up some emotion in people. And it's a sad story. And being human, we might feel a bit of rage on that. Now remember, the son returned willing to take responsibility. He did that. He came back. Would we feel any compassion then, or would we feel like the elder son? Now he's going to get what he deserves. Or would we be there to entreat him like his father did, and be glad that he's come back, and glad that he's come to his senses, and done the things that he's needed to do? You know, it's an interesting thing to think about. In 25 through 28, we see there that, that he came back. And we don't know if the elder son ever forgave him. We don't know that. In this day and time, many don't when money's involved. They just don't. You know, my brother Paul, he's a landman in the wind industry. He goes out and he tries to lease land for these wind farms. And he'll tell you, the hardest part of his job is not people treating him bad. You know, sometimes salespeople that type, they get treated bad in their job. That's not... That's not the hard part for him. He said the hard part for him is dealing with families with lots of money. They're the hard ones to deal with because they've got this issue and they've got this jealousy and they've got this person over here that doesn't like that cousin. That's the hard part because these people can't work together and they don't address these things in love as they were intended you know, when we have that person come back and in this instance as we see in, the, in this story, you know, that's not a time for us to say, I told you so. That's not what that's about. That's not a time for us to say and worry about what people think our opinion is about it. That's not it at all. That's not our role. You know, it's a time to come together and encourage that individual. It's time to to lift them up and to help them through that situation and put them on the path that they, we would want them to be and what God would ultimately want them to do. And again, there's no doubt the older son had done many things right. He stayed behind. He worked in the fields. He did what he was expected to do. But in the end, his attitude was what was wrong, wasn't it? His attitude was wrong. In 1 Corinthians 13... Verses 1 through 3, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. All these things profit us nothing without love. That's what it tells us. It has to be an element in what we do. We feel strongly about works and doing for others. And rightly so. Those things are important. I think they're expected of us. There's a place for that and a need for it. But don't make the mistake of becoming self-righteous. Because in doing so, in becoming self-righteous, we become unrighteous. And when you think about it in those terms, that's not something we want to be known as. But becoming self-righteous... Puts in a, us in a situation where we are unrighteous. Don't make the mistake of becoming self-righteous, righteous, because the good things, because of those good things, and forget mercy and compassion. In Isaiah 65, verses 1 through 5: I am sought of them that asked for not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold, behold me, unto a nation that was not called by, the, by my name. I have spread out my hands all the day under a rebellious people which walketh in a way that was not good and their own thoughts. A people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face that sacrificeth in gardens and burned incense upon altars of brick which remain among the graves and lodge in the monuments which eat swine's flesh and broth of abominable things in their vessels which say stand by thyself come not near to me for I am holier than thou. These are a smoke in my nose and a fire that burneth all the day. That's his feeling towards, unri- uh, towards self-righteousness. It's a smoke in his nose. It's something that he can't get away from fast enough. That's the way he thinks of those things. And certainly we don't want to be involved in something like that. We don't want God to think of us in that way. You know, these individuals were not following God's will. We, we read that in this passage up a bit. That's not what God asked of them. Yet they found themselves to be holier than others that weren't doing those same things. And they are described as smoke in his nose and a fire that burneth all the day. You know, a self-righteous attitude in the, in a self-righteous attitude in their own eyes. When we find ourselves to be self-righteous, we're just as these people. We're just like them. He doesn't want us to be that way. In Matthew 9 and verse 10, it says, And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold, need, behold, need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy. And not sacrifice, for I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, we can't help those who need it with a self righteous attitude. It's just like the example we had if somebody came forward. You know, nobody's going to sign up for that. To come forward for ridicule, to be looked at as less than everyone else. We can't play the role we've been given if that's our attitude. In order to help others we've got to encourage them to repent rather than dwell on their mistakes. And we offer an invitation every service. What are we inviting people to? That's what we really got to ask ourselves. What are we inviting people to? In Matthew 23 verses 12 through 13, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer you them that are entering to go in. When we take that attitude, we shut the door on those people. We shut the door on them. We prevent them from doing what God would have them to do. And as he tells the scribes and Pharisees here, you won't enter in yourself and you prevent others from doing it. You know, we have to consider this anytime others confide in us. Our actions will either help people or they'll make them worse off. We have to consider that, that they can actually be worse off depending on how we react to certain things. And certainly we don't want to be in that position. In Matthew 23 and verse 15, finishing that thought, it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you compass sea and land and to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Twofold child the child of hell. They were worse off for coming in contact with these people. You know, in our invitation, what are we inviting people to? Come to the realization that our actions can make others worse off. And we can make them resent God by our reaction. You know, if people can't confide in the servants of God, why would they think he would be any different? We wear that name, don't we? We wear the name of Christian. We wear Christ's name. And so when his people treat others that way, how do you think that reflects? Other people will think the same of him. You know, I think that part of the time that's where this attitude That I can't be forgiven of the things that I've done could result from this. And I think there are people that have come in contact with people in the past. And that's where they get some of them get that idea. Because that's the way they were treated. And that's not the way we're commanded to treat people. In James 3, 17 and 18, it says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. How can we read these passages and get any idea that we're here to punish others? We can't. This is how he tells us to treat other people. And so to think that we're here to sort of punish others or police others, that's not not at all our role. Sometimes we can think maybe we've earned that role to feel superior over others with the things that we've done and we've talked about that already that doesn't help us earn anything or, or exalt us above others you know, we talk about following the word of God but you simply won't find anything in his word to justify a self-righteous attitude it's just not there when we look through the pages and we study there we see that we're to be here to help others we're here to encourage them We find just the opposite, that this type of attitude, whether shown in actions or through private feelings, is strongly warned against. We find it exemplified in James 2 and verse 13, For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. You know, I can't speak for everyone else here, but when I stand in that day, I want all the mercy I can possibly get. I want all of it. And if you feel the same way about that today, then the time for you to show mercy on others is now. We've got to do that now, to have mercy on others and realize that when someone's caught in something and their lives aren't what they want them to be, they need help sometimes. And the way that we approach that is extremely important. To show mercy is not good enough. In Romans 12 and verses 8 through 10, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affection one to another, with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Mercy can't be shown in a begrudging way. We've got to do it for the right reason. You know, when we read here, we see that word, mercy, with cheerfulness. Where do we see that cheerful word? Where are we familiar with that word? In our giving, isn't it? And when we give back to what God's blessed us with, He wants us to be cheerful, and we understand that. We understand that concept. Then when we purpose in our heart, it should be done in a cheerful way. And it's the saying here. When we show mercy on others, we should be happy to do that. It shouldn't be done in a grudging way. In Luke 6, verses 35 through 38, it says But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not that ye shall not be judged, condemn not that ye be not condemned, forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give give and it shall be given unto you good measure. Pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Be merciful as your father is merciful. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. Now we've talked a lot about being merciful and helping others. How can we help others without being judgmental? You know, I hear, a lot, I hear that talked about a lot. I think in today's times, that topic comes up a lot of times to dismiss some things. To say that nobody can judge me, I'm, I can live however I want to. So what it, where is that balance, or where does that line draw You know, this is where we become confused. It comes down to fact versus judgment. And in our court system, no matter how you feel about it, you have two groups. You have the attorneys who are to present the facts of the situation, and you have your judge and jury who are to make a judgment based on those facts. Now, if you put that in today's terms and are in our terms for this afternoon, if you know me to be actively living and practicing a certain sin, is that fact or judgment? I'm not talking about hearsay. I'm not talking about people gossiping in the community. I'm talking if you know me to be caught in a situation, is that fact? It's a fact, isn't it? It's something that's happening. Now, if you know this about me and you take the attitude that I'm like that, I'll never change and I'm going to burn for it. That's judgment, isn't it? To ascertain that I'm never going to change and you've already judged me and you've put me in that position that I'm going to burn for that. That's judgment. Judgment comes in when we try to ascertain people's intentions. To say that I will never change would require you to read my heart. Can anybody here read a heart? I don't think we can. I don't think anybody's going to make that comment, that we can read others' hearts. And that's what you would actually have to do in order to make that statement. In this situation, the merciful thing to do would be to come to me in love and encourage me to make a change in my life. The key here being to do it in love. In Galatians 6 verses 1 and 2. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If it were passing judgment to address sin, how could we restore one another? For us to admit That someone's caught in that sin. If that's wrong, then how can we go to them and help them bear that burden? You know, it quickly becomes evident that our attitude determines whether we're feeling, in fact, dealing in fact or judgment. Are we looking at that situation properly in love? I'm addressing, in addressing situations such as these, if we do it with any other motive but love, we would be in the wrong. And we see passage after passage of that, teaching that it should be done in love. And you know, we're not talking about situations that involve church discipline. Those times happen, and there's people that play those roles. And you don't want to see it. I've seen it. It's awkward. It's embarrassing for the people that are involved. And it's not something that should be an everyday occurrence. And so we shouldn't be involved in that. But there are going to be day-to-day events where we go to each other and we're to encourage one another. And in doing that, we should do those things in love. In the congregation here and in the church as a whole, we're not perfect people. I wish we were. Things would be be a lot easier in that case. The fact is, we make mistakes. And people seeking God have made mistakes. But a self-righteous attitude won't help anyone, including ourselves. Remember, self-righteousness becomes unrighteousness. And we have to understand that. I think if we do understand that, it makes it more clear and, more how, and explains how serious that is to take a self-righteous attitude towards someone who's striving to do what they need to do and is striving to do what God would have in their lives. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.